Peter would say, hope is here, even though you've never seen him. But hope is in the house. Remember that statement. We'll close with that a little later, thinking about Peter, about hope. This morning, I just call it live in hope. I, I love that word. It's one of my favorite words in all of scriptures when I see God's holy word about hope. And Peter is known as the apostle of hope. John's known as the apostle of love. But Peter's known as one that was hope-filled. Total failure that we talked about last weekend becomes a rock for the kingdom. Why are Christians suffering here in Asia Minor? If you do any church history or study of Peter to try to paint you a picture this morning, you'd see that the Roman Empire, they were totally against Christians. They were anti-Christian, if you will. It was a, a threat to their kingdom. They were the center for worldly power. And there was great opposition for Christians. There was a great leader, and his name was Nero. And he was very full of himself and very powerful. And would go to all extremes to eradicate believers of Christ, of the way. His axes were people of the way. Matter of fact, there was an ambitious building project that he had, and he was catching great criticism. He wasn't doing real well. So he decided, I'll just blame it on the Christians. He wanted to put everything off on the blame of them. He, uh, he seemed unconcerned about their welfare. It was about his kingdom, his agenda, his welfare. He had, as I studied history, he had Christians sewn into animal skins. And then he would put them out into the arenas with wild dogs and they would eat the flesh of Christians. He would set them on fire to illuminate his nightly festivities. He would burn Christians as torches. Nero was not a very nice guy. Would you agree? He was tough. This is the world, the, the, the region, the set, the mindset, if you will, that Peter writes in. There's a lot of persecution going on, a lot of suffering. And yes, we have suffering in 2015 in the world. But honestly, in America, in Montgomery, Alabama, not really a lot of suffering. We call it persecution, and there is some. I, I will give us that. But persecution was rampant. Christians were executed, many at a time. But when I read about Peter, Peter was the foul-mouthed, impetuous, crazy one that becomes the rock. He becomes the leader of the church. When you see him listed with other apostles and disciples, he's number one. He aspired to be a great leader for the kingdom of Christ. I, I love that about him. The first 12th chapter of Acts there's a dominant figure, and guess what his name is? Peter. Peter does pretty good. He goes from messing up, denying Jesus, to preaching to the conversion of 3,000 souls in one meeting at Pentecost. I mean, I just go, wow, what, what a leader. Unshakable, just write in your notes today, unshakable, rock-solid courage and faith. That was Peter. Peter's my man. Last weekend, we began into this study, and we talked about that God takes the initiative. God first pursues us. God first woos us. I talk about this a lot around here, and I love that. God 
pursued you first. God's pursuing you this morning in whatever situation you find yourself. God takes the initiative. How many of you are glad God is an initiative-taking God? I am. Your mate was glad you took the initiative. Turn to her and say, were you glad? Okay. Well, that was marriage last weekend, right? Okay. Hopefully she was glad. At the end of the verse, I didn't get there last weekend in verse 2. Look there in chapter 1, verse 2. He says, And may God give you more and more grace and peace. May peace, may grace to you and peace be multiplied. It means going to a higher factor. That's what he wanted for us. And so I decided in my notes today, I'd do some Greek words with you. And some of you are like, oh boy, I love that. Some of you are like, I don't like that stuff. Well, okay, well, some of us do. But Cairo, they would use that term, it means to rejoice. And a lot of times people would use that term and they would just go rejoice and it would be their salutation, are you doing well, rejoice. And, and they would use that. But then there's another derivative of the word as you get into it, and it's Cairo in the Greek, and it means Greek. Or, or it didn't mean Greek. It's, it's a Greek word. It means grace. So he begins to talk to people about grace, grace to you. And then he would use that word that we all know, shalom, and shalom means, what does shalom mean? Peace. So he goes, hey, grace and peace to you. No, grace and peace multiplied. And if you'll ever notice when you read the letters of Paul and Peter and you read, it's never peace and grace to you. It's always in that order, grace and peace to you. You see, you never get peace until you've first received grace. Grace always has to be the love, the initiation, the pursuing, the unmerited favor of God first, foremost, for us. Do you believe this morning that God is for us? He is on our side. Grace. But then he goes, but I want you to have your hearts guarded. I want you to have your minds guarded. I want your minds fixed on me in great peace. So it's grace and peace. I love that. And then you move through this. You just see that he's going to begin there in verse 3. Let's take it up together. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he starts off. Hey, this is doxology time. Let's sing. Let's speak. Let's live the doxology to God. Let's give praise to the Father. That's what Jeff and the team led us in this morning was praise to the Holy One who is able. Did you participate? Oh, you're saying, yes, I did, Pastor. And some of you are like, oh, in my soul, I was singing. You just didn't hear me. Okay. But you participated. And then, and then he goes on. What does he say here? It is by his great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. So then he just jumps in there immediately. He wants to talk to him about mercy. We even sang about mercy this morning. I loved it in that song when we sang that. The mercy of God. When you think about the, the mercy of God, it, it's like God initiates it. He has compassion toward you and me. In this birth, he, he calls us into this new birth. He told Nicodemus in John 3, and here he goes, but you, you've been born again of imperishable seed. You're, you're born into a new life. The birth, once you're born, it leads to a step called crawling, and crawling leads to a step called walking. And he, so Peter would say this morning, hey, Christ community, I want you to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel, but I, I want you to move on. I, I want you to walk in my way. I, I, I want you to be God's person. 
Because you've been born again. You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. Life's different, but walk. And this morning, many of you are going, man, I'm walking in Christ. I'm rooted in Christ. I'm overflowing with Christ. I go, man, that's awesome. And there might be some today saying, you know, I don't know about this. So let's just continue to, to walk through this together. And he goes, and we have, but he says, I raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation. And we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for your pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of the change and decay there in verse 4. We live in great expectation of things to come. The completeness of our salvation, just write that down there. It's the completeness of salvation. Do you know what salvation means? Salvation means this. Rescue or deliverance. And a lot of times we talk about salvation and we go, oh, I've got salvation, salvation is for me, salvation is for all those who call upon the name of the Lord. That's true. But we go, I don't, I don't know what salvation means. It's some religious word. We talk about it at church. And what I want to say to us this morning, salvation is those, just leave that on the screen because I just want it to burn in your heart. It is rescue. You've been rescued from darkness. You've been rescued from sin, the dominion of sin. You've been rescued from your past. Do I have a witness in the house this morning that is thrilled that they've been rescued from their former way of life? Hold your hand up. Yeah. You yeah, why don't we put our hands together and thank God if we're thankful that he's rescued us. Amen. Yeah, that's awesome, isn't it? God's rescued us. And he didn't only just rescue us, he delivers us. Salvation is complete. Salvation is an active, present word. It's ongoing in deliverance. Do you have anything you need to be delivered from? Mm-hmm. You don't have to say it out loud. We all have things we need to be delivered from. And Maybe in your story you're like, well, this is what I was delivered from when I came to Christ. In the first five years as a Christian, these are the things I saw myself delivered. In the last ten years, been less. Well, good. Maybe you're being sanctified, you're becoming more like Christ. But you might be here this morning, go, I've been a Christian for decades or for five years or five days or five weeks. And go, but deliverance, I need some. See, deliverance just doesn't stop because you're a Christ follower. It's an ongoing thing. I mean, I, I meet people all the time. I, I think about my own life. In, in, in the Greek, the word is sosoterion, sosoteology. It means the study of salvation. I, I remember when I was in seminary, we studied salvation for three days, and we had graphs and notes and charts, and it was, it was complex. It was heavy. It was deep. And I got through, and I went, my goodness, if you've got to understand that to get saved, I don't know if anybody's ever going to come to Jesus. I mean, it was great, and it was going to the root of every word and everything, and I thought it was awesome, but at the end of the day, I went, salvation is rescue, and salvation is deliverance. Can you say that with me? Salvation is rescue, and it is also How many can understand that? I can. Yeah, I'm putting the, I'm putting the cookie on the low shelf so I can get it, okay? And I want you, and some of you are like, oh, that's what I like about you. You're simple. You know, we learned this term years ago, and if you're offended by it, Sorry. The KISS method. Keep it simple, stupid. Okay, I was just talking to myself, okay? Just want to understand it. So the, the burden's been lifted because I've been redeemed. I've been, I've been born again. That's what he's saying here. He's saying mercy. There, there's a verse. Can, can we go back to that? And it's Titus chapter 3, verse 5. It's going to come right there. I, I want you to, this is a great verse. He saved us. Talk about God. God initiated. God saved us because of the, not because of the righteous things, the good things that we have done, but because of his... 
mercy, his mercy. He washed away our sins, washed us clean, given us a new birth and a new life through the Holy Spirit. But I love that. Because of God's mercy, another word would be compassion for you and me. He saved us. So if you ever doubt, does God love me? Oh my goodness, he loves you. He gave his son. His son came to rescue you. He came to deliver you. The Holy Spirit comes to aid you in continuing ongoing deliverance in this life from the power of sin that we can be kept by Christ. We'll, we'll see this in a minute. I love this. So, so Peter says, hey, in one translation, says, but you've been caught into this living hope. I, I love that word. Living hope. Not just hope. Hope's good enough on its own. But when you call it living hope, it is passionate hope. It is hope that does not uh, disappoint. It is, it is hope that's over the top. It's hope in abundance. Does anybody here want to celebrate hope abundance this morning? Absolutely. Like, God, I want that. I desperately need that. See, when you go to a funeral, you want to know hope. You want to have hope. When you walk out of a service of a child of God, there is hope eternal. Have you ever been to a service where somebody didn't confess faith and belief and practice in Jesus Christ? I've been there. Hopeless. No living hope there. Here, Peter's going, man, this is what I want for you. The resurrection. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Christ. God gives that living hope. I, I, I just hope that gets deep in your heart today. and You're going, man, I want living hope. Because sometimes we have dead hope. <laughs> and dead hope, I don't even think it's hope. I, I don't know what it is. It's just it, it, it's, it's pitiful. And, and verse 4, as he's continuing to go on there, he talks about an inheritance that's in corruptible it's undefiled it's 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 pure here it, it, it's a great thing god gives us an inheritance have you ever received an inheritance before okay let's that okay i think i spoke english have, have you ever received an inheritance before i have did you do anything to earn it no i think the kid said no <laughs> here just come up and preach i'm done okay that's awesome. No, you, you do nothing. Y'all know Pastor Keith likes watches. And I have a collection of watches that I inherited from a brother in Christ several years ago. And, and, and it, it, I enjoy it because it's a fetish. I enjoy wearing a watch. And yes, I wear a watch according to the color that I have on. Yes, it's blue today. Okay, that was bothering everybody. Does he have a, yeah, I have a blue watch. Okay. And so I, I just like, so it's inherited. I didn't do anything to earn it. It was, it was a gift. It was a free gift by somebody that loved me and wanted me to have it. And I didn't know about it until after the person had passed, and then I was blessed by the inheritance. And I didn't go home and go, Don, I have an inheritance. Let's throw it in the trash. <laughs> Man, I, I took out these boxes of watches, and I went, this is like a kid at Christmas. And Don, I'll tell you, for the first few months of my inheritance, you know the toughest thing I had to do every morning, getting ready? Deciding which watch to wear. But it was a gift. And what I want to do is I want to take you so far past that crazy analogy. I want you to think about the inheritance that you have in Jesus Christ. That it is a gift multiplied, given to you by your Father. And what are you going to do with it? See, some people, pardon me? You need to honor it. Some people have just taken it and cast it aside. They put it in the trash. They put it in the shelf. I always love this when people go, Mama left me this. I inherited it. I go, what are you doing with it? It's in a safety deposit box. Can I have a timeout? Timeout. Get it out of the stinking safety deposit box and wear it. 
Use it. How many of you think people give you an inheritance to enjoy? I do. So you're like, oh, no, pastor. I would want to pass it down to the next six generations. You're weird. No. I want to enjoy it. Somebody gave me a gift. God gives me salvation. Do you think God wants you and I to enjoy salvation this morning? He does. He gave you an inheritance that won't spoil, it won't fade away. It's inflation-proof. I want you to write down there. An inheritance that's inflation-proof. That's a pretty good investment. It's so much better than your retirement and your stocks and bonds and savings. And Have you looked at what a savings account is producing today in the market? Less than 1%. Go, pitiful. Can you say pitiful with me? Yeah, that's, and some of you are like, well, Pastor, I'm not worried about it. I don't have a savings account. Well, that's another lesson in itself. It's called Dave Ramsey 101 on steroids, okay? We, we want to help you with that. But God bequeaths, I like that word, I just wanted to say it. He bequeaths, yeah, that's a word. He bequeaths heaven to you and me because of his son Jesus, the precious blood of Christ, a living hope, a lasting hope. You know, some people have, uh, there, there was this book out, used to be out, <laughs> it's still out. Your Best Life Now. I don't want to know if you read it. The theology here is horrible. Your best life is not now. Your best life is yet to come in Jesus Christ. Amen? Let me tell you. Now, if you're not a Christian, your best life is now. I'll give you that. Because hell is not going to be very fun. But if you're in Christ, your best life is in the future. Isn't that awesome? That's salvation. Salvation has past, present, future tense. It's a rich word here. And so we say, God, when I die, when I graduate, when I have a coordination, when I go to be with you, that's so much higher. And then God says, my power keeps you secure. It's a military word. He, he keeps us. We're, we're kept safe. We're safeguarded. How many believe God can keep that which we entrust to him against the day of Christ Jesus and his appearing again? I do. And that's the only hope you have. That's that living hope that I'm talking to you about. That's that living hope that gets me fired up. It speaks salvation in, in these three ways. It talks about the past tense, that you've been saved, that you're being saved, and that you will be saved from the power of sin. Future glorification means there's no more temptation, no more presence, no more power of sin, but I rule as a joint heir with Jesus Christ forever. Is that good news or what? No more calories, no more fat, no more bills, no more disease, no more yucky, just Jesus. Isn't that awesome? Some of you are like, I want to go. I want you to go. You got to make a decision. You got to believe him. You got to believe the gospel. You got to act on it. You got to trust on it. You know, he talks about being saved ultimately from, uh, from our sin. The old nature's gone. Salvation, though, reaches its climax, if you will, in the presence of Christ, in the fullness of Christ, in the completion of Christ. But then move on down here, because I, I just want to say, so he says, live with great expectation. You have an inheritance. It's in heaven. I'm, oh, God, I love this. So he's, he's moving, and he says, I'm protecting you. I'm keeping you by the power. It's not you. It's not you keeping yourself. It's God keeping you through the Holy Spirit. And then verse 6, let's go there. So be truly glad. There's wonderful joy ahead, even though you have to endure many trials for a little while. I wish that was not in the Bible. That is not popular theology in 2015. That is called biblical theology. If you really track this word, it means endure various trials, lots of trials. You're like, ugh, man. And, and let me, I, I just want you to feel in it. It's going to come up what trials are. There's a lot of words that I put in there. I'm going to try to talk about them a little bit. 
Trials are diverse. Would anybody agree? Yeah. They cause grief. They can be helpful. You're thinking, I don't think so. They can correct us. They can equip us. And they can ultimately reveal faith. That's what trials do. Last weekend, I talked about a little another angle of trials. Today, we're looking at this. But trials are diverse. They're big. They're small. They're middle ground. You won't, the only time most of us get excited is when we avoid a trial. Because, <laughs> man, we don't want to go through it. I mean, I, I'm in that camp. Like, I, I, don't, I don't get up in the morning and say, God, could you give me a medium-sized tri- trial today? God, how about a big one? My faith is really big. I mean, man, you're thinking, you're an idiot. I, I, I agree. But God says, but when you have faith, solid, rock-solid faith in me, you can endure trials of various, many kinds. So, you know, you're saying a trial from what? Trials are diverse here. He says they rejoice in your trial. These variegated, colored, manifold, various, different sizes. Here's one, a physical trial. Physical trials are usually not very good. You hurt your ankle. You hurt your foot. You break your leg. You, you get diabetes. You, you get cancer. You get, a, you get some disease. Something happens. Men, physical trials are just tough. You're in an all, automobile accident. You have a birth defect. Oh, no, 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 no. We could just say physical trials. How many of you believe physical trials are rampant in our earth? Sure they are. And we don't escape those. And it, it, the apostle Paul would go, it's a thorn in my flesh. They don't know what it was. And it's for a reason because we all have trials. But many scholars think it was a lingering eye disease that Paul had. All I know was it was a nuisance. It was a pain. In this room, I bet you there are a lot of trials going on, even physically. And you battle that every day. And you're saying, but hey, I want to trust Christ. I want to keep on. Uh, Then there's emotional trials. There's a guy in the Old Testament in Kings. His name's Elijah. And he had to battle some trials. it, it, It got so heavy in him, he got, the Bible says he got exhausted he got depressed, and he just wanted to die. Have you ever been there before? You see, physical trials are great, but I find that emotional trials are just as hard, maybe tougher. How many would agree with me this morning? An emotional trial is mental. It, 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 it sucks the life. It's no living hope. The emotion goes out of you. But then there's also spiritual trials. And those spiritual trials come to really nurture us and stretch us and solidify our faith. And then the next point here is trials cause grief. In, in the sense of grief, a trial, they seem heavy. Can you just write it there beside that word heavy? A trial sometimes gets so heavy, you, you, you can't lift it. You seem oppressed by it. You seem to be under it because you are. And you have to look above the trial. You have to look to heaven. You have to look to the Lord and say, Lord, this trial's taking me under and God will be with you. I, I, I just know that from experience. But it's a normal, healthy expression of life, okay? And then, so he talks there about diverse. He talks about grief. And then he says sometimes they, they, can, be, they, uh, they can be helpful. Because, see, sometimes they, 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 they cause us grief here. But let me say this. In the grief thing, I, I did some study on this. I thought it was fascinating. In ancient times, the Hebrews when they would lose somebody, when somebody in their family died, they grieved for a minimum of 30 days. 30 days. As I continue to do some study on this, the Egyptians, they did it for 70 days. They, they had the grief process. Let me tell you what about Americans. Sometimes we don't even grieve for a day, for a week. Or maybe we grieve for weeks or months or years. 
But there has to be a grieving process. I, I want to speak to you on this side because we're, it's the last time I checked. Everybody in the room's living. Is everybody breathing today? Would you just turn to the person next to you and go, are you breathing? Everybody in the room's living, right? Okay, that, that's good. I just want to make sure. So trials are helpful. You, you ever heard this? Honey, take this medicine. It'll be good for you. Did your mama ever tell you that? Mama, that stuff is gross. That tastes like, ah. I mean, did anybody ever take any horrible taste in medicine? If you're my age, you took a lot of horrible taste in medicine. And now it's like going to the yogurt shop. Like, man, give me some more of that stuff. Like bubble gum. That's awesome. You know, whatever. And that's why sometimes kids mess up in the medicine cabinets because they find it and they think candy and it's not candy. Okay, anyway, that's another uh, thing. Trials are helpful if need be. God is in control. You know what else they do? So they're diverse. They cause grief. They can be helpful. They can correct us. How many of you believe a trial comes into your life, but it can help you change direction and course, and then you begin to follow Christ in a new light? Trials do that. How many believe God sends trials? I do. Sometimes I think God says, you need a trial. You're saying, I thought he loved me. You built a case in the first part of your sermon that God loves me. He does. He loves you so much. You know God's more concerned about your faith than he is you? He wants your faith to be pure gold, rock solid, tested, persevering, enduring until you get into his presence. You're saying, ooh, God, God could send me a trial? He could. He loves you. He loves me. And I'm like, well, God, I, I, do I need course correction? And sometimes I do. And sometimes you do. So maybe you're going through a trial this morning. Just look at it a new way. It's not that God's abandoning you. It's not that God doesn't love you. God totally loves you. He's just trying to get your attention. And he knows this trial might drive you to his heart and away from yourself, trusting in the flesh. That'll fail you every time. So trials, they humble us. They correct us. They strengthen us. Storms, trials, hardship. You know what else they do? They equip us. They equip us for greater ministry. I, I love that about trials. As hard as they are, they make me stronger for the journey. And we'll talk about that in a moment. I'll, I'll try to break that down scripturally from a verse from the Apostle Paul. Matter of fact, I'll give it to you right now out of 1 Corinthians. You ever heard this verse? 2 Corinthians 1. The God of all comfort comforts us in all our troubles so that we can be a comfort to those who are of any trouble with the comfort that we have received from God. How many of you have found that to be true? God comforts you that you can comfort those that have been afflicted. And you can comfort the afflicted because God has given you spiritual resources and he's given you something in the dark. He's given you something in the furnace. God's given you something in the heat, in the hardness of life. God has taught you something. He has come alongside you that he could walk with you, that he could equip you, that he could make you like himself, that then when your friend, your brother, your sister goes through a trial, you then have resources, not of yourself, but of heaven that you can come and can help somebody else walk through a similar trial because you have once faced that own trial and you have found the strength and the glory in Christ Jesus and you can help somebody else out of the trial and then God is glorified I'm tired I'm trying to drive a point today trials come to good people to righteous people to holy people to Christian people Yes, and they come to bad people. And don't raise your hand, but some of us get excited when trials come to bad people. I've heard some of you pray. 
I'm praying fire of heaven would fall in their house. And you don't mean the fire of the Holy Ghost. You just mean, I want something bad to happen. Because you're mad. You're ticked off. You're going, Pastor, you're getting a little too comfortable with this message. No, I, I'm owning this because trials are for us. And I don't want to give you some candy-coated Christianity. I want to give you the real deal. So here, when, I, when I'm reading here, he goes, even though you have endured many trials for a little while. The, look at verse 7. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. How many of you want to get to heaven? God says, your faith was fake. You were a poser. Not authenticated. How many of you want to get home and God says, your faith was real. Your faith brought honor to my son, to my eternal kingdom. And he goes, it's being tested as a fire test. It purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, circle that in your Bible, many trials. God is into this. God wrote this. God cares for us. I wish it wasn't in here, but it is. It will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world, that which we entrust to him. He keeps and Christ is revealed. And we go, God, you've gotten a lot of glory through this because my faith was genuine. God, you put me in the furnace. I got heated up. But in the process, I reflected Jesus. In the heat of battle, when I was driven to my knees and I was broken, Christ was forged, fashioned, framed, give me another F, in me to give God honor. That's what the, the scripture says. That's a, a, a message for us this morning. And see, I'm, I'm teaching through 1 Peter, and I'm doing an expositional study. I, I, I've done some of these over the years, and I do topical series, and they're always full of the Word. But I'm just going to walk us through 1 Peter, and I'm quite excited. As a matter of fact, I, I, I'm reading and studying more than ever. You do that when you're in exegetical, expositional teachings. But I, I love this. Is anybody getting anything out of this message today? Is it helping you understand God's Word? Amen? Because I, I want you to be not ignorant. I want you to know. So, God, we want to we follow you. We want to... Fiery trials. You know, right down there, fiery trials sometimes wipe you out. <laughs> they just do. I mean, you get exhausted, you get depleted, you get angry, you get upset, and, and a trial comes and it just wipes you out. I, I know, man, I, I've been there. Um, I, I've had a trial recently I've been going through. And man, I, I got to tell you, it, it's not been very fun. And I just keep trying to look to Christ and I keep trying to pray more and I keep trying to say, God, what are you trying to teach me? And what do you want to say to me, God? Not as your pastor, as a disciple of Jesus. I'm your pastor after all that stuff. I'm first a child of God. I'm first a disciple of Jesus. Amen? My office is pastor, but I go, God, what are you, what are you trying to teach me? And sometimes it's painful. and Sometimes it's good. So God, these trials. And you know what else it does? I wrote down there, it equips us and it reveals faith. See, my trial and your trial is always for the purpose to reveal faith. If your faith was sincere without wax, real, genuine, pure, holy. And then verse 8 and 9, let, let's just keep building a case here. I want you to see this. You love him even though you have never seen him. We talked about hope a minute ago. How many of you have ever seen God? Okay, nobody. Okay, I just want to make sure. I just want to see if you had a vision or something. Though you do not see him now, you trust him. There's two words here that, that I want you to see. I want you to feel it. Like the relationship is based on love and trust. 
You love him and you trust him, even though you've never seen him. I've never seen Christ. I've seen Christ in people. I'm, I'm in the presence of Christ. I have the Holy Spirit. You do if you're in Christ. But I've never physically, with visually, seen God. I look forward to his appearing. And here, this ingredient is for personal, it's, it's, it's requirements for a relationship, love and trust. In your marriage, you have to have these two elements. You have to have love and you have to have trust. And if you don't love the other one, it's not going so well. But if you don't trust each other, it's really gone south. Would you agree? So you have to love and you have to trust to have a good relationship in marriage, in relationships, in friendships, and ultimately with our Heavenly Father. God, I, I love you. I trust you. Whom having, I, I like what it says, whom having not seen you love. The Greek language is much stronger. Of whom having never had a glimpse you love. Now, when you and I think about Peter this morning, let me remind you. Peter was an apostle. An apostle means he had a physical contact walk with Jesus Christ, visually saw him, heard him, listened to him, did the whole deal. Peter saw Jesus. But he talks to us about, but even though you've never seen him, you love him. You trust him. He was writing to us this morning in Montgomery, Alabama. He was writing to the world because he knew we would have a different experience than he did and how powerful that would be that we would just trust in him and say, it's, it's basically in John 14, 15. If you love me, you will obey my commandments. See, if, if you really want to ask somebody, do you love God? Oh, man, I love God. I love Christ. Okay, next question. Do you obey him? Hmm, what's obey got to do with it? Everything. <laughs> if you really love Christ, you obey Christ. That's, that's what Jesus said. It's not what I thought. It, it's the opinion of Jesus. So, he, he just goes through this in, in, in verse 21 of that chapter. He says, he who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. So Jesus is real big on this concept about practicing that which we say. Jesus, I love you. Okay, good. Then love me. Jesus, I love you. Then show me. Obey me. O obey what my scriptures say. See, being a Christian means following Christ, following after Christ, a Christ follower. And a Christ follower obeys the master, and the master is Jesus. So we do what he says. I, I love that. Like, and then invisible does not mean unlovable. L let me give you the best illustration I can. Invisible does not mean unlovable, and it doesn't mean unavailable. See, right now, if somebody went down in our service and had a medical emergency, a heart attack, I know what would happen immediately, Chrissy would probably be the first one and several others, y'all would do something. What would you call? You'd call 911. I mean, you'd call it just response. Even though you've never seen them, you're not seeing them right now, but you, in faith, you would go, I know they're available, and you'd call 911, and guess what would happen? Pretty quickly, emergency personnel would show up, and they would walk in this room. See, but, but you don't see them, but you know they're there. See, and we don't see Christ, do we? But we know he's there. When you call upon Christ, is he there? When you call upon the Holy Spirit, does he walk with you? Does he feel you? The Bible says he does. And you're saying, well, wow. So invisible doesn't mean I'm unlovable. Invisible doesn't mean I'm unavailable. It's like, here we go. During Christmas, 
I, needed, I had a problem at my house with water. I needed a gutter. We used to build houses with gutters, and, and we don't do that anymore. And It's kind of a dumb thing, but that's, a, that's my opinion. Okay. So I called a couple of companies, and I got, I got some gutters around parts of the house because we had some tremendous waterfall. And I'd never seen the guy, but I called the guy, and he showed up. See, see what I'm saying? So I hadn't seen this guy, but I called him, and he showed up, and he did the job. Well, now I got gutters. I really believe in gutters now. Now, had the guy not shown up, I'd have gone, I don't know, man. You know, you're just kind of lost, and I still got a problem here. I, I, I think maybe you're getting the point here. I'm just trying to drive it. It's like, God, love, just remember this, love and trust have to go together. God, I just want to love you. God, I just want to trust you. God, I just want to walk with you. Listen, he says, we walk by faith and not by sight. Great lawyer in Chicago was Horatio Spafford, and he wrote one of the favorite hymns of the church. You know what it was? It is well with my soul. And his wife and children had just died, but he had a tremendous faith in Jesus Christ. And listen to these words. O Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight, the clouds be rolled back as a scroll, the trump shall resound and the Lord will descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. That's what I pray this morning. You just come in, it's right with my soul. I've got a personal relationship with Christ. I, I depend on Christ. I confide in Christ. I talk to Christ. I, I, I abide in Christ. He's my relationship. And, and that's what Peter's trying to get us here. Because then he goes, if you're in Christ, you have this inexpressible joy. Oh, this joy unspeakable. And there he goes, you greatly rejoice. You rejoice with joy inexpressible. He brings a joy that words can't express, says one translation from J.B. Phillips. It's, it's just this fullness. It's this completeness of Christ, a gladness of heart. We don't use that term much like, are you glad of heart? It, it sounds kind of weird, but I understand it. How many of you understand the term gladness of heart? Yeah, my heart is glad. My heart is happy. My heart is full. It's full of the love of God. It's full of the love of Christ. That's what Christ wants for us. Even though I've never seen him, I trust him. This morning, I'm not calling you to a blind faith. I'm calling you to a faith in a Christ that was resurrected, a Christ that lives, a Christ that will come again. And, and look, look, listen to this, Psalm 4. You have put gladness in my heart, Psalm 37. Delight yourself in the Lord, Psalm 5. Let all those who rejoice who put their trust in you, let them shout for joy. Psalm 32, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous. Shout for joy. All through the, I love the Psalms. I read the Psalms a lot because I need joy. I need a joy infusion. Just write down there, read the Psalms when you need a joy infusion. If you're depleted today, exhausted, depressed, discouraged, beat up, doubting, read Psalms. You'll see a man that was after God's heart. King David wrote so many of the Psalms, and he just gives encouragement that it becomes real. So, Lord, we worship you in that spirit. And then, and then he goes on. Let's move here. Got to do this quickly. Verse 9, the reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. It appears here three times. This salvation is, is comforting. It's, it's complete. It's full. It's what we long for as Christ followers that will have redemption in the fullest salvation for our very soul 
And then, and then he moves on here in verses 10 through 12. Just listen to the language. This salvation was something even the prophets wanted to know more about. They prophesied about the gracious salvation that appeared for you. The Old Testament prophets, man, they spoke of the coming of the Messiah. But then he goes on to say, and they wondered what time or situation the Spirit of Christ within them was talking about when he told them in advance about Christ's suffering and his great glory afterward. In verse 12, and they were told that their messages were not for themselves, but for you. Talking about us. Now this good news has been announced to you by those who preach in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. It is also wonderful that even the angels are eagerly awaiting and they're watching for these things to happen. When I read this, I, I could talk about this for weeks and I won't, but I'll just say this. Prophets predict it. Preachers proclaim it. But you and I get to live it together. The Bible says that angels longed for this. Did you know angels are not saved? Angels cannot get saved. Christ came for mankind, for man only, for humans. He didn't come for the angels in that sense. And Peter, the author of this book, he just, he just tells us that it's like he gets on his tiptoes and he goes, the angels, they long for what you and I have, this salvation in Christ. And I think the angels probably even wonder, they even hardly pray and they get redemption in Christ. They hardly witness and they get redemption. Angels don't get redeemed, folks. We do. It is a glorious salvation. Does anybody feel the weight of this passage this morning? It's awesome, man. The angels are just going, oh my goodness, man. Uh, you know, a, a drug addict becomes a pastor. A criminal becomes a, a missionary. A degenerate person gets redeemed. But I'm an angel? Yeah, that's your assignment. But for humans, for us, he dies. I, I just get excited about God's classroom and I go, Lord, you've done that for us. You, you marvel over forgiven sinners. You marvel over us. So right now, the team's going to come. And, and, and Jeff's going to close out with this song today. It's well. And my prayer today is that, that you would just say, man, it's well with my soul. My soul thrives in Christ. But don't, don't be disingenuous. Man, my soul's sick. My soul's not regenerated. It's, I'm not born again. Oh, guys, let me tell you, there's great news here today. You can be born of the Spirit of Christ right now this morning. You can call upon Jesus. And the Bible says, you know what the Bible says in Luke? I love this. Here's these guys that don't get saved, but they give glory to God, and they're messengers, and they serve us unto salvation. But the Bible says when one person comes to repentance and faith in Christ, it says the angels jump up and down and get excited and have a party, and they rejoice over lost sinners coming home. Isn't that good news? Yeah. And that's what we get to do. Every time somebody comes to faith in Christ, we rejoice with the angels. We rejoice with our Father. So that's my prayer today. Would you pray with me? Lord, I'm grateful for strong truth. Lord, Peter suffered greatly, God. I know nothing about persecution like this. Neither do my friends. But God, for us, you died and gave your life. And Lord, I pray that we will learn to endure the trials and realize that sometimes you even send the trials because you love us. And you have so much in store for us. And you want to build our faith upon the solid rock of Jesus Christ. So Lord, would you have mercy on us sinners today? God, 
Could there be one in the house this morning that's never cried out to Jesus? Or they doubt they're saved? This morning, could you clear that up and say, Lord Jesus Christ, would you be born in me today? Would you come into my life and take over? Cleanse me by your blood. I receive you now as Savior. But Jesus, would you come and rule in my heart as Lord, as Master? I want to obey you from this day forward. Make me a child with a living hope. In the name of Jesus Christ, with heads bowed. Are there people in this room this morning that would raise their hands and say, I just made that prayer, Pastor. Are there people across the room that have done that today? Would you just raise your hands high? Come on, church, don't be ashamed. Be proud if you just prayed a great declaration of prayer, of faith. Lord, we love you. We need you. And we look forward that you'll come again. Teach us your word. But God, do more than that. Help us to apply the word. In Jesus' name.